Hello, my friends. Welcome, welcome, welcome. In this episode, we're going to do a deep dive into Kundalini Yoga. What is it? What is Kundalini? What is this snake that everybody's referring to? Do I have to wear white to the yoga class? Is it a cult? All these questions that a lot of people may think prior to taking a Kundalini class, or perhaps some of these questions even prevent you from even taking a Kundalini class. And my intention as I really pave my way in the Kundalini path is as a teacher is to make it accessible and understandable and digestible. After all, Kundalini Yoga is what's referred to as the householder's yoga. It was designed with the householder in mind, meaning the mother, the father, the full-time worker, the community leader. And so, yeah, I feel so honored to be teaching this lineage and passing it forward. It's relatively new for me as well, which is why I've created this whole brand around Satnam Society and Kundalini Yoga in general. And so let's dive in. So Kundalini Yoga is also known as the Yoga of Awareness. So for those of you with a Hatha Vinyasa background, you may already know that yoga in Sanskrit translates to union, union. And yoga is really a uniting, a union of all the forces within you. And in our Hatha Vinyasa background, this happens physically, right? Through the physical body. And in Kundalini, this union happens through the subtle bodies the energetic bodies. So Kundalini has its roots in the Tantric yoga tradition and it dates back to the 8th century. However, however, and that's documented, however, there have been cave paintings that have been found in Greece and other parts of the world from over 10,000 years ago that have pictured and captured Kundalini postures and Kriyas. So this is an ancient 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 technology and so you may have heard of yogi bhajan he is the yogi who brought kundalini to the west he's really known for bringing kundalini to the west to north america in the 1960s and so what exactly is the kundalini so you may have heard kundalini referred to as a snake Right? And sometimes you may think of uh, a serpent when you think of kundalini. So kundalini, kunda means coil, and lini means line or nerve. So together the word kundalini actually translates to a coiled nerve. Kundalini rests or sits at the base of your spine within your central nervous system. And so again, kunda, coil, lini, nerve. This is actually a resting place of optical electrical charge. It's not some made up thing. Think of your chakras, right? Similarly, we can't see them, but we know where they're located. We know the function of them, and we know that they operate in the energetic realm. So kundalini lives in the nervous system at the base of the spine. And so if we were to actually locate the Kundalini, 
go ahead and put your hand, your left hand on your belly button, right at your navel point. And then put your right hand on your sacrum. So the sacrum is the very, very, very base wide part of the spine, the sacrum, which is slightly lower than the navel. And then close your eyes and imagine drawing a line, a diagonal line from the navel, which is a little bit higher, all the way down to the, where the right hand is of the sacrum, right? It's this slope, downward slope diagonal line. And exactly halfway between this imaginary line is where your kundalini sits. And kundalini is often referred to as a snake because think of a snake coiled up, a resting snake. That's your kundalini. And when we start to awaken the snake and lure it up the spine, this kundalini rising, it's like a snake that wraps around in a spiral pattern all the way up the spine. So this is a storehouse of prana. Your kundalini is a storehouse of prana or energy. Prana is life force or energy that lives at the base of your spine. And as it works its way up the spine, it moves through your chakras, the doorways of each chakra, all the way up the spine, eventually through the crown of the head to connect with universal consciousness. And so I know that this may be a very broad concept for some of you to understand, and that's okay. That's okay. You know, in any lineage of yoga, we can either focus on the vastness and the philosophy and the theories, or we can bring it back down to the asanas and the breath, and then allow the teachings to slowly unfold for us. So if at any point during this, this chat today, if something feels overwhelming, just leave it and take what works for you. So the kundalini sits again at the base of the spine, halfway between the navel and the sacrum. In Chinese medicine, you'll hear this referred to as the lower dantian. So kundalini was created around the same times as qigong, tai chi. It is an ancient healing art. And so this light force, this sleeping snake in the base of our spine gets activated through pressure, through tension, through stress, and through friction, all of which are created through our kundalini yoga postures, meditations, and breath work. They're all created through our kundalini kriyas. And so what happens is as this light force gets activated, again, through the tension of a pose or a breath work, it sends this impulse, this optical electrical charge, up through the central spinal channel, and then it comes down again. Because remember, in nature, everything that rises must fall. We follow the cycles, the rhythms of nature. So the kundalini rises up the central channel, and then it connects to the vagus nerve. So think of this energy coming up the back of the body, up the spine, past the shoulder blades, through the neck, around the occiput of the head to the crown, kundalini rising. And then the kundalini descends through the front of the body, the forehead, down the face, down the throat, until it reaches the sternum. And in the sternum, your breastbone, your chest bone is where the vagus nerve 
lives and the vagus nerve is part of our parasympathetic nervous system the vagus nerve is the largest nerve in your parasympathetic nervous system and for those of you who don't know the parasympathetic nervous system is the part of our body that kicks on the relaxation response so kundalini rises up the back body falls down the front body down through the vagus nerve and the tributaries of that system to ground the energy that you just circulated comes back to the resting place at the base of the spine only to be recirculated back up the spine again okay so the two channels that the kundalini moves in is up the back of the spine which is called the shushumna nadi shushumna nadi and it passes through the gut brain the heart brain the head brain up the shushumna nadi the central channel and then it comes down and rains its blessings of grounded energy down through the vagus nerve so we've got shushumna nadi through the the central channel and then we've got the ida and pingala nadi which are the downward facing channels ida pingali is the left side of the body it's our moon side and then sorry ida nadi and then pingala nadi is the right side of the body the sun side so ida left pingala right and so what happens when the kundalini gets activated when we start to lure her up the spine you can have a sense of otherworldliness you can have a sense of joy of confidence of love when what is referred to as the micro orbit is circulating now the micro orbit is simply the kundalini rising and the kundalini falling and the kundalini rising and the kundalini falling so this kundalini rising can feel profound sometimes it can feel overwhelming especially if we are new to this practice and it could feel like a very very subtle experience especially once we're more experienced with the practice and our senses of the subtle body are more refined and know to that this kundalini rising this activation and energy can also bring up anger frustration jealousy rage all the fiery energies so I don't want to sugarcoat this and say you're always gonna feel joy and love when the Kundalini is circulating no the point of the practice and the point of moving this energy is to shake up and rustle up stale stuck stagnant energies that have been living in your lower chakras that have been hiding away in your hips in the swampy energy of the sacrum and the the, the cerebral spinal fluid and so over time with consistent practice dedication and refinement we really want to aim for a really more subtle experience of the kundalini and the micro orbit so that it becomes sustainable but I think that it's really important to mention this because I know that some of you may have heard stories of kundalini can be dangerous and a kundalini awakening can uh, pr pr promote trauma in the body and so it's really important to go into kundalini yoga one with a teacher that you know love and trust and that you feel safe with and two with the the knowledge and the education of what exactly you're doing in this practice 
Okay. So let's go over how is Kundalini different from other forms of yoga. So my background is in Hatha Vinyasa and I've taught Yin and I've taught restorative yoga. And so it, it's easy for me to speak to how it's different from those practices. So as I said, Kundalini is referred to as the householder's yoga. It was designed and brought to the West by Yogi Bhajan in the 1960s for someone who lives in this world not separate from it. And so other forms of yoga, Hatha, Vinyasa, Ashtanga, were oftentimes in the very early days practiced by renunciates or practiced by people who solely their purpose was to practice yoga and teach those teachings. Kundalini is made for someone who's a community leader, a mother, a father, a, a working person. And, and it's because it's a quicker and more efficient practice. You can have a shift and practice Kundalini for three minutes, 11 minutes, and have a very profound effect. Now, of course, there's Kriyas and offerings that go much longer, but the point is, is that it's potent and can be completed in a very short period of time. It's a less fluid form of yoga, so traditionally vinyasa will flow through some sun salutations and work through sequencing of a specific part of the body, the hips, the lower back, shoulders, etc. And we sort of go through this arc of a class traditionally in vinyasa, whereas kundalini is less fluid. It's broken up into oftentimes a repetitive movement that will repeat for three minutes, five minutes, sometimes up to 11, 31 minutes. So it's repetitive movements in a specific order and a specific number of times. So there's not this, this graceful fluidity of class. We do a posture, the teacher guides you through it, and then the students do it for a set specific amount of time or a specific, set specific amount of reps or breaths. And then there's rest for a moment. And then we begin and we go into the next repetitive movement. So it's different in that way. You still will have a Shavasana for longer Kriyas. That Shavasana time is actually super important in a Kundalini class to allow the energetic bodies to integrate. So I like to compare Kundalini, if we think about a computer, so think about your laptop or desktop, right? You've got your hardware, you've got the actual physicality of the computer itself, you've got the keys, you've got the mouse, you've got the printer. So that hardware is what we're working on in our Hatha Vinyasa practices. It's the physical body. We can touch it, we can feel it, we can see it. In our Kundalini practice, we're working on the software. So think of the Wi-Fi. Think of the programs in your computer that allow the systems to work. Think of all the applications you have downloaded on your computer and the virus softwares and the malware softwares. This is what we're working with in Kundalini. So we can't touch it. We can't see it. But we, we know when it's not working. We know when it's clunky and our computer is not operating at maximum efficiency, right? So Hatha Vinyasa, Restorative Yin, these are working on the hardware, the physical body. Kundalini is working on our software, the subtle body systems, the organs, the glands, the emotions, your bliss body, your aura, all these magical things. And it 
is quick and efficient and it awakens energy very, very quickly and offers us the opportunity for deep, deep transformation. So I sort of, I really do view Kundalini as more of an advanced practice and I think a lot of times those uh, individuals who come to Kundalini may have already had years and years of, of a yoga practice. Perhaps not, however, I do feel it's a little bit more advanced and requires a little bit more refinement, faith, and understanding of the yogic technologies, right? So again, deep transformation is available to us in Kundalini Yoga, and it is designed, remember it's an ancient technology, it's designed to shift our consciousness. And the yogic practices in Kundalini activate, channel, and distribute prana throughout the body into every cell and tissue of your body. It involves lots of breath work. So again, prana is life force. Breath work distributes that prana into the deepest, deepest parts of our body so that we can optimize our radiance and our vitality. So that's an overview of how Kundalini is different from other forms of yoga. Again, it's quicker, it's less fluid. You'll oftentimes have repetitive movements, which is, you know, if someone's coming in with a vinyasa background, they may feel a little jarred by the start, stop, start, stop um, function of class. So here's a question I hear a lot from people. Why do Kundalini yogis wear white? Why do they wear a turban? What's the deal with that? Is it a cult? Is it a religion? <laughs> and so let's debunk that now and really demystify that. So traditionally, again, yoga, kundalini yoga is a science. And the reason why they have um, traditionally yogis and students wear white is that white is a combination of all the colors in light. And white actually has, has a, a scientific understanding that it facilitates the movement of energy more easily. So when we wear white, again, remember in Kundalini, we're working with the energy body, it has less influence on you. So we're rising this light force. If you're wearing black or hot pink, from a subtle, 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 subtle energetic perspective, there's an impact on you. Whereas white is very neutral. It facilitates energy moving and releasing up the spine and it raises your vibration. And remember, again, this isn't about a religion. They do this or encourage wearing white because this is an attire of practicality to enable an effect, right? It's an attire that enhances and supports the Kundalini rising. So that's the why behind it. However, my friends, we're moving into the direction of the future where things are changing. And again, my goal is to make this practice as accessible as possible. So here to remind you, wear whatever you like. Wear whatever you like. And I encourage you to really be mindful and intentional with when you do choose other colors, just simply notice how do they affect your energy and your practice that day. And just be, an be a scientist right, in your own experiment of, okay, I'm, I'm choosing not to wear white and I'm going to pay attention to how other colors may affect my practice. 
So then comes the same sort of uh, issue with the turbine, right? So a lot of people are like, what's the deal with the turbine? So again, this is a science and it's an attire of practicality. So the turbine is actually really uplifting, especially on those higher chakras, sixth, seventh, and eighth. And the pressure that it puts around the skull and the crown of the head actually affects the meridians there to perform sort of like acupressure, which can, can make the yogi and the practitioner feel alert and awake, which again is really the effect we're aiming for here in Kundalini is to feel alert and awake, right? And it also sort of gives this sense of a shield during the deep meditative processes as well. So that's the why behind the turban. But remember, nothing is necessary. I choose not to wear a turban. However, when I'm doing meditation or some deep breath work in my kundalini practice, I will take a shawl, a white shawl, and wrap it around my head like a scarf. So I'll sort of bring it over the crown of my head and then wrap it over my left shoulder to, again, provide me that sense of safety and shield during meditation. But again, Remember, we're moving into the future. Nothing is necessary. This is your practice. I just feel that it's important for you to understand why the yogis have been doing it this way for so long. So Kundalini has a lot of chanting in it. We start with a long tune-in. We tune out with Satnam. A lot of the meditations were chanting, chanting, and repeating Gurmukhi or Sanskrit chants over and over. And so the question becomes, well, what if I feel embarrassed to chant? And the answer to that question is, that's totally normal. And as a teacher, I always find it interesting to tune into the difference in the chants from the students in the beginning of class, before the Kriya begins, and then comparing that to the closing out, tuning out chant at the end of class. And the closing out chant is almost always more powerful, more confident, more embodied. And that's no surprise because you've moved through some of these emotions and, and physicalities that come up through your practice and so just know that it's totally normal to feel embarrassed and just like what you wear during your practice it's up to you whether or not you choose to chant so know that even if you just sit there and bask in the room of others chanting you still get benefit from the the science of the of the sound of the vibration of the mantras and I also encourage you to lean into your edges. So you may know that your, your fingerprints are unique to you. The iris of your eye is unique to you. And your voice print, the print that your voice makes on the space around you is also unique to you. So know that chanting, whether it's an om or it's a full tune-in kundalini chant, is your way of printing your unique self into this class, into this room, into this world. And the voice, the sound of your voice and the vibration of your voice is a cellular healing unique for you and your body so yes you can get benefit by listening to the chant but you can get a hundred times more benefit by chanting 
yourself. So use these chants in Kundalini Yoga to give yourself the authority to have your own voice. Kundalini Yoga, as I said, is a deep transformative process, a deep conscious practice, again, the yoga of awareness. And so much of it is about giving ourselves the authority to have our own voice. So own your voice, own it, place it out into the world. And this is so important, my friends, in today's digital world where it's all emojis and hashtags and DMs and text messaging. How often do we use our voice? So in today's digital world, give yourself the authority to have your voice, to use your voice and to share your voice. So think of it like that next time the teacher calls for a tune-in. Know that it's normal to feel embarrassed and remember that all of this practice is not a performance, it is an informance. Our practice is not to perform others or for others, it's to inform ourselves. Again, remember Kundalini Yoga is the yoga of awareness. Ah, so let's take a deep breath. Thank you so much for being here with me and exploring this topic. Hmm. So I'm going to cover two more things. What is a Kriya and why should we practice Kundalini Yoga? So what is a Kriya? Kriya is spelled two different ways, K-R-Y-A or K-R-Y-A. I-A, sorry, K-R-I-Y-A, Kriya, and uh, you'll hear often Kundalini Kriyas, the Kriya for self-awareness, the Kriya for forgiveness, the Kriya for the liver. What Kriya means is it translates to complete activity, complete activity or complete set. So Kundalini Kriya is a sequence of uh, movement and breath and mantra. And in Kundalini uh, Yoga, we actually are believed to have 10 bodies. We have our physical body, we have our bliss body, we have our radiant body, our auric body. We have 10 bodies in the Kundalini Yoga philosophy. And so a Kriya actually works on all 10 of those bodies at the same time. Whereas in other forms of yoga, you might work on your um, meditative body in meditation and your bliss body in yoga nidra and your physical body in your yin and, and hatha practices. Whereas in a kundalini kriya, remember that means complete set or activity, you're working on all 10 bodies at the same time, whether it's a three minute kriya or an hour kriya. You're completing a purpose. Every kriya is highly curated. Again, remember this is an ancient practice and it's curated with a deep intention in mind. So again, sometimes that can be kriya to move anger, kriya for radiance, kriya for addiction, kriya for forgiveness, right? And so as a teacher, I really love this because my class automatically, once I pick which kriya I'm gonna teach, comes with a deep intention. And as a student, once you find a teacher that you love and once you find this library of kriyas to choose from, highly recommend my YouTube channel, by the way, (laughs) Uh, you can pick your kriya that day based on your intention and meeting your body where he or she is at. Okay, so that's what a kriya means. 
And then, so we know a little bit more about Kundalini. We know, okay, I don't have to wear white. I don't have to wear a turban, although I know why they do. We know it's an ancient practice. We know it's the householder's yoga. We know the anatomy of light now about this serpent energy moving up the Shashumna through the central nervous system down the vagus nerve. Great. And we know that a Kriya is movement, breath, and asana and mantra. And then the question becomes, okay, well, why practice kundalini yoga? You know, maybe you're a person who already has a regular meditation practice. You have your vinyasa practice. Every now and then you do a yin or a nidra. Like, why add something else to the repertoire? And so here's some of the benefits. It's always helpful to know what the benefits are, you know? What's that carrot at the end of this stick, you know, to, to really lure you to this practice that may be brand new for you? So kundalini yoga stimulates the nervous system and the glandular system in a very precise way. So again, this goes back to kundalini addressing the software of the body. The glands of your body are what keep your emotions running smoothly and your energy running smoothly. So if you wake up and it feels in your inner landscape like a cloudy, moody day, you feel like you're stuck in a rut, something is off with your glands because your glands secrete the hormones that then create your emotional body. So again, if you're feeling off, it starts in the glandular system. In terms of the nervous system, this is the part of our body that allows us to feel relaxed. When our parasympathetic nervous system is aligned, we feel calm and grounded, and we can start to relax into our being. Our parasympathetic nervous system is the space where imagination comes from, right? And the space where big dreams come from and manifestation. But so often, so many of us are sympathetic nervous system dominant. So the sympathetic nervous system is our fight, flight, or freeze. And it's also the functional part of our nervous system, the part that gets shit done. But we want to also really learn to operate from a relaxed space and calm emotions that are easily moved through the body. So Kundalini does this. Kundalini has less barriers to entry than other traditional yogas, right? So other traditional yogas, yogas take a little bit longer, perhaps, to feel an effect. And a lot of people are intimidated by the flexibility that may be required of a hatha or vinyasa practice. So because we're working less on the physical body, we don't need to be extremely flexible to practice kundalini yoga. We don't need all these props or even yoga clothes. Kundalini yoga can be practiced from our desk, from a wheelchair. People have come to kundalini classes in jeans. Again, remember, this is a householder's yoga. It's quick, it's concise, and it's easy to access. So there's less barriers to entry with kundalini. Although I do realize that one of the barriers to entry are, is sort of this just sort of um, question mark around, well, what is it? Which is my intention with this podcast is to, to, again, make it more accessible. When you practice kundalini yoga in even just one class, but certainly with a regular practice, you can start to feel more bliss. Kundalini yoga is our fast track to bless. It increases the feelings of calm and serenity and joy and love and clarity. 
it expands our auric field so we become more radiant we become more radiant and remember and i say this in the beginning of every single class is that kundalini is designed to trigger you <laughs> it's designed to poke and provoke you it's designed to make you go oh how much longer are we gonna be in this plank pose doing breath of fire oh my arms are killing me why are they overhead for three minutes my shoulders are burning right it's designed to trigger you it's designed to slay the ego and in that space where we're really called to stay with it right it shows us our growth edges it helps us to lean into our edges and it shows us what's your inner dialogue when you're challenged in a kriya what's your inner dialogue when you're holding stretch pose and doing breath of fire and like you just don't think you can do 10 more seconds right this is our growth edge and with breath work and with kundalini yoga we flirt with our edges in the physical body so that we can then learn how to work with and move beyond our physical edges in our psycho emotional and mental body right the the self dialogue that you have in a kriya is my friends the self dialogue you have when you're challenged in relationship when you're challenged in your self will and your motivation right this is the microcosm of the macrocosm this is so much more than doing breath of fire in a plank pose it's slaying your ego one kriya at a time one practice at a time it's a it's really shining the mirror right so we have this mirror which is our practice and our self-dialogue and our subconscious thoughts and patterning and our practice actually shines this mirror so we can look at our edges and our subconscious and our shadows with clarity again kundalini yoga really brings forth a lot of clarity it learn it teaches you how you deal with con confrontation and how you deal with challenge it gives us these little bursts of triggering so that we can learn more about ourselves right so that again the yoga of awareness self-awareness self-realization how do you react in difficult situations this is also a big practice of pattern disruption saying mantras that are new to us trying breath that is totally new manipulating our breath in totally new ways moving our body in new ways holding our arms above our head for five minutes in new ways it pattern disrupts you moving the tongue in different ways with different mantras right shifting the drissi or the gaze into different spaces than we've done in our traditional vinyasa flow it disrupts your day to day it pattern disrupts your physical body right different hand mudras it pattern disrupts the mouth and the breath and it through this pattern disruption allows you to move into the next level of who you are again remember there's a lot of opportunity for big shifts in consciousness there's big opportunity for transformation in this practice if we allow it if we understand what's really happening on a deeper and more metaphysical level <sighs> so remember friends this is a big and vast and magical and mystical practice if we allow it to be 
If you're brand new to the practice, I really invite you to subscribe to this podcast. We talk a lot about certain kriyas and as well as embodiment in general uh, throughout this podcast. And I invite you to subscribe to my YouTube channel as well, Satnam Society. You can find me there where I offer weekly free content, kriyas, breathwork, meditation, and radiance tips. So be patient with yourself. You've listened to this podcast, so congratulations. You've already uh, become a, uh, a person who's more deeply aware of this ancient and sacred practice. So kudos and congratulations to that. Know that the practice, as with any practice, will unfold and reveal its wisdom to you with time. So be patient and self-compassionate with yourself. Enjoy the process. Maybe even journal your, your kundalini uh, journey you know, what comes up for you after practice, what comes up for you and you're being confronted with the challenge of a practice. And certainly to stay in touch with me, leave comments on my videos, share this podcast. And I really look forward to hearing um, any questions that you may have and staying with you on this journey. I'm so grateful for you. And you can see the link to my uh, YouTube channel in these show notes. And feel free to reach out. You can email me at natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E dot satnam society at gmail.com. Thank you so much for being here with me. I appreciate you. Satnam. Aho. Until next time.